Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. We there? Okay. It says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You kind of get the idea God would like us to be talking about this. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and His name you shall swear. By His name you shall swear. In Him... Uh, so I've lost my place now. Let me do that again. It is the Lord God you shall fear. Him shall you serve, and by his name shall you swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. That's pretty gruesome, isn't it? Okay, but let me just zip very quickly um, into Mark's Gospel. Mark's Gospel at chapter 12 and verse 30, Jesus repeats those words, or at least some of those words. And uh, just so that you've got kind of the measure of that from the New Testament, it says this. Mark 12 at verse 30, And you shall love the Lord your God. This is Jesus speaking. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Now, um, I, I wanted to do all of those verses in Deuteronomy because I want you to understand the importance uh, of the kind of verses at the beginning. Because um, you will you'll have noticed from the verses that followed that God is pointing out to us how easy it is for us to become complacent. That actually... Um, and for us particularly in this day and age we have an easy life now you might not think it's easy you might be able to find a whole host of things to complain about and be unhappy about and you know uh, complain that life is tough and uh, you know complicated and all of those sorts of things but actually compared to a lot of people in the world (laughs) we have it easy And what's interesting, it's always interesting to me, is this. That in the places in the world where people have it really rough, those are the places where the church is growing the fastest. Because people are not complacent. Because they understand good when it comes their way. Because they are more appreciative of the things that God does and is, you know, has done and is doing for them. And God tells us in these verses, He speaks to us directly and He says, when you get to that place where things are all right, and uh, things are all right, I mean, you know, we're all, you'll look wonderful this morning. You'll look gorgeous. Okay. Just turn to the person sitting next to you and say, you look really gorgeous. (laughs) Now, I'm a little bit concerned. 
I'm immediately concerned because uh, Shegzi turned to Mike instead of his wife to say, you're absolutely gorgeous. What, what was that all about? Ayo, Ayo, you're absolutely gorgeous, though. You are. Okay. You all look gorgeous. You all look well-dressed and well-fed. And I know that you've all come from comfortable homes where you don't lack for anything. And when you're, when you're absolutely, praise God, when you're in a situation like that, actually it's easy not to praise God. It's easy to sit in the comfort of all of that and to forget that actually God has been good to you. God has provided all of this for you. And if you think that you provided it, then you haven't read what the Bible says. Because the Bible says that every, every good and perfect gift is given to you by your Father in heaven. Everything that you have that is good, that is worth anything, has been given to you by your Father in heaven. And we need to understand that all of this um, goodness that surrounds us uh, is given to us by God. And that we should not, as we sit surrounded by all that, become complacent in terms of our uh, worship of God, our love of Him, our serving Him. We must not become complacent. And actually, you know, God says some pretty tough things on this. In verse 15 there it said, For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. Clearly, God feels very strongly about this. Feels very strongly that we, you know, we should be engaging in our love and our worship of him and not becoming complacent. Not letting the easiness of our lives lull us into a, a place where God actually comes down the list instead of being on top of the list. Actually, a good friend of mine once, um, we, this a long time ago, we invited him to come with us to a place we were ministering at and uh, invited him to preach. Does this need a new battery? Yeah. Um, invited him to uh, the, the place where we were ministering. We invited him to preach and he got up and um, after hours of study and preparation, he, he said, well, he said, I just feel that God wants to say to you this morning, um, he doesn't want to be number one on your list. He wants to be the list. That actually he should be everything. That he should be uh, our all in all. So, and I think, and then he sat down. He just said, you know, God doesn't want to be number one on your list. He wants to be the list. In other words, the only thing on your list is him. And I I think, and then he sat down. (laughs) That was his sermon. That was it in its entirety. And... um, You know, actually, that's the truth. God wants to be the entire focus of our lives. Didn't, didn't Jesus say to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that if we chase after God and God things, that all the other things in our life will fall into place? Most of us get it the wrong way around. We chase after all of the things to try and get them to fall into place, and very often they don't, whereas if we would just give our lives to chasing after God, all of the other stuff will fall into place. And God wants us to see how important that is. Now let's get up to the the beginning of those verses where we started. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God. This is not a major thing but in terms of the message this morning, but this is important, that 
why do you think that um, God goes to that uh, extent of wanting you to say, the Lord your God is one? He could have just said, God, love God. Don't worry about anything else. Just love God. But he, he says, the Lord your God is one. And it's important because we, we have to understand that we worship a God who we experience as a trinity. That is, God, three persons, is one, but also is experienced in three different ways. We experience him as God the Father. We experience him in the shape of Jesus, God the Son. And we experience him in the form of the Holy Spirit, who comes to uh, empower us and give us the things that we need so we can be what God is calling us to be. Uh, the, the Bible never actually uses the phrase Trinity or Trinitarian. It never actually uses that phrase. But actually, uh, as you read through the Bible, you can see all of this going right from creation where there's a conversation going on. Who is God talking to? You know, <laughs> he's not talking to himself. There's a conversation going on in creation that, that flags that up for us. Um, there's a, the best example in the New Testament is the baptism of Jesus, where you've got Jesus, the Son of God, being baptized, and the heavens open, and the Father speaks, and the Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove. You've got all three of the personalities there in that uh, passage. And God wants us to see that actually all, all of God, God is one, and therefore all must be worshipped. The Father must be worshipped. Jesus must be worshipped. And this is where some people have trouble. The Holy Spirit also should be worshipped. Now, I remember a lot of fuss a lot of years ago over a song, um, Father, we adore you. Lay our lives before you. You remember that song? And then the second verse was, Jesus, we adore you. Lay our lives. And then the third verse was, Spirit, we adore you. Lay our lives before you. Um, and a lot of people used to not sing the third verse. Now, they used to not sing the third verse because um, in the New Testament and in various other places, it makes it quite clear that one of the principal roles of the Holy Spirit is to bring glory to Jesus and to the Father. And so on that basis, they kind of relegate the Holy Spirit to, you know, um, servant rather than being actually God. But the Bible teaches us very clearly that we worship a Trinitarian God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is just as worthy of our worship and our honoring and our respect as the Father and the Son are. So that's why uh, he starts out there, the Lord your God is one. And then calls, thank you, Joy, and then calls us to love this one God that we experience in, in three, to love the whole Trinity. And... Um, in case you're wondering what it means to love God, the Hebrew word there means quite simply a sincere affection. Now, I want you to think about what that actually means uh, for us, you know, as normal human beings and one or two others. Um, that what, what does love mean to us? Now, for a lot of us, love is a nice, it's a nice warm feeling. It's that feeling you get when eyes meet across a crowded room and the fireworks are all going off all around you and you think it's love. It goes, of course, away beyond that. Now, the Bible does not call us, and I'll get into that a little bit more in a minute. The Bible does not call us to set aside feelings and to ignore feelings, but it adds a lot of things to that. 
So love also sometimes is a decision. Love also sometimes is a commitment where we just have to dig our heels in and determine that we will love regardless sometimes of the way we feel. Love encompasses all of that. And if our affection is sincere, then our affection will be consistent. It will not be knocked about by situations and circumstances and things that we like and things that we don't like and all of that sort of stuff. It will not be affected by those. It will be consistent and focused because that is what love is. Hello? Are you with me? So we are called to love and then um, we are told how we are supposed to love. Now, I want this morning, because we're kind of still rolling under this banner of normal Christianity, I want to hook this particularly into our corporate worship. Um, Today, and maybe the next two times I'm in the pulpit, I'm going to speak about worship and, and what that looks like. Worship, of course, is something that we do with the whole of our lives, not just on a Sunday morning. We worship God in the way that we live, in the way that we think, the way that we speak, the way we behave, the way we deal with other people. All of those things form part of our worship of God. But particularly this morning, I want to focus on our corporate worship. That is how we come together and express together our love for God. And I want to kind of nail it down into this passage in Deuteronomy. So in verse 5, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your might. With all your heart. Um, Now, when we use phrases like that, uh, if I say, I love you with all of my heart, um, it's kind of, it's a Valentine's Day thing, isn't it? You know, the card uh, has the little, you know, red heart on the front and all the kind of the fluffy sentiments and things which is all very lovely if you like that sort of thing and you know I love you with all of my heart Russ Um, but but you need to understand the way the heart is seen particularly in the Old Testament but will also is reflected in the New Testament in terms of the use of that sort of language in the Hebrew that's used in Deuteronomy there the, the word heart is the word uh, labab which means to be wise ooh it's to do with uh, the feelings but it's also to do with the will it's to do with a balance of those two things producing wisdom that will help you to love you see, in, in Hebrew culture, the heart is seen to be like the center of the being. Actually, um, it's more in Hebrew culture like the stomach, the stomach where you feel things, where, where you get a reaction to stuff, where you know when you're nervous and you feel butterflies, that's where you're feeling it, isn't it? You know if you're stressed and you're tense, that's where you feel it. You know when you're excited, that's where you feel it. And this whole this word is to do with capturing the feeling but applying thought to it, applying wisdom to it so that it issues in something which is genuine affection. Are you with me? Okay. Uh, So it's feelings and will combined together. In the Greek, when uh, Jesus is is quoting this, it's translated using the the word cardia, which literally means cardia, cardiograph, cardiology, 
tachycardia literally means the heart, but again uh, points towards thoughts and feelings. So there is a thought process as well as the feeling. It's not just a rising up of feelings, but there is a processing of that in our understanding that helps us to bring that out in a uh, in a proper, I would like to say, form of love, of affection. Are you with me? Then he says, the second word that he uses there is soul. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. So uh, the word soul there in the Hebrew is the word nefesh, which um, has to do with life. It has to do with vitality, with being alive. It has to do with things that breathe. Okay, If things breathe, uh, there's normally a heart you know, and uh some kind of blood pumping around and the breath bringing oxygen into the blood and all that sort of thing. It's to do with life. So the, the word soul there has to do with life, living things. And uh, in the New Testament, the Greek word there is, I see if I can pronounce this right, sushi. Sushi. It's not sushi, but that'll do. It's close enough, isn't it? Um, which again literally means breath, that we will love him with all of our breath. In other words, that we use our bodies, our life, our vitality to show our affection. So that our affection, our love for God comes out through something which actually is physical. It's, it's not just something that's wrapped up inside of us, in our emotions, in our understanding. But our very life issues forth some kind of statement, yes? of affection, of love for God, of worship for him. That's soul. And uh, just as a, a thought that kind of ran through my head, that the breath, the life that God gave me is given back to him in worship. You know, that God gave life to man by breathing into him, by breathing breath into him. And uh, that, that breath in us now needs to come back out in an act of worship to God. Um, the third word used in Deuteronomy is might. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Um, that word might uh, uh, is the word meod uh, in the Hebrew, which appears over 300 times in the Old Testament. And it's a Mr. Kipling moment. It means that we do it exceedingly. It means that we do this abundantly, that this affection that we show to God, that this love that we give to God is done with real commitment and verve and enthusiasm and is done exceedingly well. In other words, you know, when you exceed, you go beyond the norm. You go beyond what is expected. So as we come to worship, we exceed what you'd normally expect. We, ex- we go beyond the norm. Hello. Now, I'm already seeing some people starting to wilt now, thinking, oh my goodness, what is he going to have us doing when we come to worship? Well, I'm going to have you take some steps. I'm not going to tell you how to do that, but I'm going to have you think about what it means for you to exceed in worship, to go beyond where you have already been, where you have currently settled, if I may say, to go beyond that place where you have settled into something beyond into something that exceeds that that is abundantly more than that that you allow 
that uh, sense of worship and affection for God to well up into you to find some expression which is new and enthusiastic. And uh, are you ready for that? Uh, one of us is. Everybody else is kind of looking a little bit, mm, and there's one or two nervous laughs, and some people are smiling at me as if to say, you've got no chance. <laughs> okay, and then there is a fourth word. Now, the fourth word doesn't appear in Deuteronomy, but we're not going to argue over it because Jesus quotes it, so we're not going to argue with Jesus, are we? And Jesus adds this one in when when he uh, reiterates the, the command there. And in Mark 12, at verse 30, we read this at the beginning, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And then Jesus adds mind and all your strength. So strength, they're replacing the word might, but he, he adds into it mind. And uh, that literally, that word there, down, down noia, um, do you know, I went to do a seminar once for some Bible students and, uh, and I, I just kind of coughed out a Hebrew word and, uh, and just kind of explained what it meant for the, for the sake of actually really understanding the text properly, you know. And a guy comes up to me afterwards and says, you pronounced that wrong. <laughs> and I'm like, listen, if you really think you know exactly how they pronounced that word 13,000 years ago, I said, I'll give you a tenner. But otherwise... You'll have to put up with my uh, alliteration of it. But that word literally means, mind, to, to have deep thought. Okay? To, uh, it also has reflections of imagination and understanding. So when Jesus adds that word in to the mix, what he's saying is we want this heartfelt thing we want, I don't know what's going on with this today. We want that heartfelt thing coming out. We want the feelings to find their expression. We want the strength, the life, the vitality, the enthusiasm. We want all of those things, but we want to come at it from a place of understanding, um, a place where the imagination also engages so that we bring all of ourselves to God in worship. In other words, it's not just something mindless. You know, um, you might have been to meetings like this. I've certainly been to a lot of meetings like this, particularly, you know, 25, 30 years ago uh, when the um, charismatic and uh, Pentecostal movements, the charismatic movement was kind of in its heyday and the Pentecostal movement was experiencing a bit of revival off the back of the, the, the charismatic movement and all of that, um, that you would go to a meeting and the, and the second the music started, there were people bouncing around the aisles. And... Um, now, I, I don't want to criticize that particularly, but it didn't really seem to me that there had been much thought gone into. But there wasn't any kind of reflection. There wasn't any kind of, you know, looking at the words on the screen and engaging with, with the song before it finding its expression. But there was just this, as soon as the first note was played, we were out of our seats and we were bouncing. Um, I think that God would like us to be a little more thoughtful about it. Not that we don't bounce, because that's fine. That's all good and proper. But actually, that it comes out of a place of understanding. So we're not just dancing to the music, but actually what we're bringing is a fully rounded act of worship. Are you with me? So it's not just, it's not just about throwing ourselves around the dance floor. Me and June have got a date later on. We're going to have a dance when the music starts. 
She said, if I can stand, I said, it's all right, I'll carry you. But it's, it's about bringing a thoughtful act of worship to God. Now listen, God, I, I'm going to throw some, some worship words at you in a minute. God, God wants us to engage in those sorts of things. God loves it when we dance. In fact, there are a number of places in the scriptures where he says we all really ought to dance. All right? um, God loves it when we're clapping and raising our arms. God loves it when we're doing all sorts of things uh, that show our worship for him. But if it's just actions and there's nothing coming from here or here, then it's not a fully rounded act of worship. Now, I do understand that sometimes, you know, um, I don't know about you, but there are, and I know you'll find this hard to believe, there are times when I come to worship on a Sunday morning and I don't actually feel like worshipping. And this is why all the other stuff is important. Because if we're going to live in our feelings, then I could very easily come on a Sunday morning and not worship. You know, you've had a really tough week. You know, you've had to deal with Russ and Steve and all the stuff that goes on in the center. Um, You know, they've run out of Earl Grey in the cafe. You know, Um, you scrape the car on the way out of the car park. You know, you have a really rough week everything goes wrong you know then you spend the weekend falling out with your wife and then you know the last thing you do before you leave for church on Sunday morning is have an, I know none of you ever do this all right but you know the last thing you do before you leave for church is have an argument and then you know just as you're standing at the front there and the music's starting you know you just stand there thinking oh lord <laughs> now if you lived in the place of your feelings there would be no worship that day And so I do understand that sometimes we have to throw ourselves into worship because if we do that, the feelings will follow. That actually if I do the things that I know God enjoys, that he appreciates, that that, that, if I can say it like this, that make God feel worshipped, if I engage in those things, I know that because I do that out of commitment, because I do that out of understanding, that the Holy Spirit will come and I can engage with the Holy Spirit and the feelings will change. Yes? And that comes out of an act of commitment. But it's not a mindless bouncing about. Okay, it comes, it comes from a place of understanding, from a place of thoughtfulness, from a place of enthusiasm and commitment for God, okay, and expressing love and worship to Him. And, uh, you know, the feelings will follow. I mean, if you're in the great place and you feel like worshiping all day, every day, that's fantastic. God bless you. I'd like you to teach me how to do it. Um, and I'm a good learner, so, you know, let's give it a go. But you get the picture that I'm painting here, yeah? All of this um, impacts on our worship when we come together. Now, uh, worship should not just be what we do on a Sunday morning here. I've already said that actually it should be a part of our lives. There should be a personal and private element of it. There should be a public element of it. There should be a personal element. There should be a corporate element. All of those things. Worship should affect the whole of our lives. But particularly in our times together here, what what do we need to be thinking about? What do we need to be doing? We work very hard. I, I want you to understand when we... Um, the worship team cannot just introduce new songs when they feel like it. We have a process for that. Okay? And we have a brief for what sort of songs we will sing. And uh, there are two very important things. I wrote the brief. Okay? There are two very important things in that brief that when we come to introduce new songs need to be understood. 
The first is that they are theologically sound. Okay? So you won't be singing any dodgy songs because I will not allow them to get onto the list. Okay? So they're theologically sound. The second is this, that we focus primarily on songs that lift up the name of Jesus. We focus on songs that talk about God and not about us. We talk about, we, we, we choose songs that take us on a journey up to Him and don't drag Him down to us. Yeah? So there are, there are songs that are about glorifying God, about lifting up the name of Jesus, about acknowledging who He is, about acknowledging who He's, what He's done. Yeah? And those are the sort of songs that we sing so that you can engage with that and, uh, and know that the worship, you know, can, can be as it, as it should be. So we're very careful about that. We're very careful to make sure that uh, the music is helpful and that will draw us into that uh, place of worship and into the presence of God. But the fact is you and I have to make the journey. I'm going to talk uh, quite a bit on another occasion about the journey because it's, it's quite important. But how do we make that journey into the presence of God? Well, you don't make it. And I know there, there were one or two people who didn't like um, a few months back when I very politely and lovingly gave you a little reprimand because in the middle of the worship, half of you were sat down with your arms folded. Uh, and I want to tell you, you will not make the journey sitting in your seat with your arms folded. Uh, we have a journey to make which requires us to engage with the worship. Now, we might not all, and um, we shouldn't all be doing the same things. And, you know, some of us are built for dancing. Some of us, well, I, I used to love to have a good bounce around. As I've got older, some of my limbs don't work so well. Some of my joints have got a little bit creaky. And so I don't bounce as well as I used to, although there are occasions when I get inspired and don't care. I just go for the bounce, you know. But as I engage physically, because that's how I love God with all my might in the context of worship, as I engage physically, you know, there is something that lifts in me. As I lift my hands in it, and I want you to know, you know, it's not easy for me just because I'm the pastor to do these things. I am not uh, naturally an extrovert. Naturally, I am an introvert. In fact, I'm a classic introvert. Okay? It's not easy for me to do these things. And actually, you know, I have, some of you know, I have problems with my hands and my wrists and, and my arms are not very good. And so for me to be standing with my arms in the air for any period of time sometimes gets a bit painful. But you know what? I don't care. Because I would rather suffer a little bit of discomfort and be worshipping God than not be worshipping God. And I know that God likes it when my hands are in the air. It's a part of what I give to Him without thinking about me. Hello? Uh, being, um, being loud, singing loudly. You know, I, I, do you know, I miss David Clark. If you're listening to this, David, I miss you. What I miss about David Clark was this, that when we would come to worship, he would just, and he'd not got a bad voice, you know, but he would just sing his head off. And you could always hear his voice above everybody else's. And I remember one particular time when we were not quite sure what we were supposed to sing. It's one of those songs where, you know, there's a gap. And on all the recordings, they filled it with something. But, you know, in the, in the music and the words, of, there's nothing there. So you're not quite sure whether you should be singing something or not. 
And there was that point in the song where everybody else went quiet. And David Clark, at the top of his voice, just goes, Jesus! <laughs> then realized he was the only person singing, you know, and stopped immediately. But I thought, isn't that brilliant? That actually in that moment, he brought some heartfelt, enthusiastic worship. He wasn't thinking about himself. He wasn't thinking about anybody around him. But he was just lifting up the praise to God. And, you know, we all need to be getting to that place where we bring the worship, where we step out of it. Let me just throw some words at you because we're running out of time. And I do want us to get back into worship. In the Old Testament, now you have to give a little bit of latitude to this because different translations use different words for things. But in terms of the translation that I use, the ESV, the extremely superb version, um, in the Old Testament, worship is referred to 107 times. The call to praise is referred to 214 times. And I want you to understand that praise is not just a praise the Lord. Okay, The word hallelujah, which you can't really take away from praise, um, is an old Hebrew word, hallelujah. The, the luyah bit means to God. The halal bit is the praise bit, Okay, which means, literally, if you'll excuse my paraphrase, to go bonkers. It does. It means... To rave. If you look it up in Vine's Expository Dictionary of Bible Words, the halal part of hallelujah means to rave. So this, this is what we are called to do. Are you with me? No, you're not with me. Let me try that again. This is the Bible, okay? In the Bible, the word hallelujah is used quite a lot. The word hallelujah means to go nuts in worship of God. All right. Um, Singing in the Old Testament in worship is referred referred to 135 times. Clapping only 12 times. And for some reason we seem more comfortable with the clapping than all of the other stuff. Actually, in terms of the balance of what we're called to, clapping is quite a bit down the list. Only turns up 12 times in the Old Testament. Dancing... 24 times, twice as much as clapping. So for every bit that you clap, you've got to do twice as much dancing. Are you with me? And listen, foxtrots and waltzes are okay. If you can't do the bounce, okay, do what you can do. All right, cartwheels, Phyllis. Philomena, I'm kidding, I know. <clears throat> Raised hands. Raised hands are talked about a lot in in. Uh, in the Old Testament for all sorts of different reasons but in the Psalms alone six times we're instructed in the Psalms alone to raise our hands to God in worship then in the New Testament you have 73 references to worship 29 encouraging us to praise 14 telling us we should sing 5 telling us we should be dancing and 3 telling us that we should lift our hands are you getting a picture here? that our worship together must be about more than standing in our place and singing that our corporate worship, if we're going to show genuinely this affection to God, you know, it's not about what you want. It's not about what you're comfortable with, and it's not about what you enjoy. Because our worship is not about you. It's about God. You know, if we're going out to eat somewhere to celebrate, okay, I know that Sue's first choice would not always be the cinnamon curry house. But... (laughs) 
But because she loves me, if it's my celebration, that's where she'll book. Because, even when it's her celebration, because she loves me. Hello? Do you see what I'm saying? That actually, if you want to bless your spouse, your partner, when it's a special day for them, for whatever reason, you don't do what makes you happy, you do something that makes them happy. Hello? Now, our worship is exactly the same. We're here to do what makes God happy, not what makes you happy. We're here to do what puts a smile on God's face, and if you feel a little bit uncomfortable doing it, that doesn't actually matter. Hello? Seriously, because worship is about making God happy, not about making you happy. Worship is about doing the things that please Him, about putting a smile on His face. And we have all that wonderful instruction, and we'll get into that a bit deeper on another occasion, all that wonderful instruction about what we should be doing. But if we're going to love God with our heart, with our soul, with our strength, and with our mind, it's got to be more than just standing in our place singing songs. We've got to exceed that. There's got to be some abundance, some enthusiasm, some, some stepping beyond that into a new place where we really are bringing something as a sacrifice, as an offering to God in worship of Him. Just one thing to say while the worship team are making their way back up. That the word worship literally means to ascribe worth. So what we're basically saying is that worship means that we come together and do things that that display the amount of worth that we place in God. Yeah? Yeah? So if I turn up to worship and all I do is sit in my seat with my arms folded, how much worth am I ascribing to God? That's not really worship. Yeah? Um, if I don't put my hands in the air to worship him, which is what I'm called to do, because it's a little bit strange to me or I'm not really comfortable with that sort of thing, that's not really ascribing a lot of worth. Are you with me? Now, I know for some of us that means breaking out of our personalities <laughs> because we don't all naturally do things like that. You know, I have friends who are naturally like that. They bounce everywhere. They're very exuberant and expressive like that. You know, most of us in reality are not like that. And I'm not expecting you all to be doing cartwheels in all this extra space we've got this morning. Although if you want to, please feel free. But I'm not expecting us all to be doing cartwheels. But what I do want to encourage you to do is exceed what you would normally do. To push out a bit. to to try and engage more with expressing yourself both vocally and physically in worship to God. Because this is the call on our lives because God loves it, He enjoys it and here is the payoff. Just in case you needed something other than it makes God happy, here is the payoff. My experience has been consistently that when I put myself out in worship to God, God comes and meets with me. And if we all are doing that together, I want to tell you, 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 we talk about the glory of God being poured out. You ain't seen nothing yet. 
when the church really rises up together and worships God the way God likes to be worshipped, I want to tell you something. God will pour his glory out and you will experience the presence of God in a way that you have never experienced him before. And we will see more wonderful things happening. We will see people delivered, people saved, people healed. We'll see all sorts of great things going on. We'll see people encouraged and you know all of that stuff because the glory of God is poured out on his people. But, and God is just waiting for an opportunity to do that. And my conviction is that as we come together and pour ourselves out in worship, that his response to that is to come and to make his presence felt and to do all of those things amongst us. Yes? Yeah. Okay. Are you ready? Let's just take a moment. Why don't you just, uh, listen, let's just close our eyes if that's comfortable for you and just take a moment to reflect. Let's just take a moment to allow the Holy Spirit to inspire us. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just, in these moments, give us a revelation of Jesus. That we would see the one whom we worship. That we would see the one who has saved us. That we would see the one who is the Lord of all the universe. The glorious King. And that as we see him as he is, that that would give rise to something in us so that we, should, we can worship him as we ought. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. (laughs) 